Welcome back. It's time for customers who click. I hope you're having as lovely a week as I am, uh, which of course has been made better by some of the lovely reviews that have been coming in about the podcast. If you haven't done so already, please do go leave a review on iTunes. On a slight side note, I'm currently running a series of webinars about conversion optimization, how it impacts on acquisition and retention. Uh, So if you're interested, check out my LinkedIn or drop me a message there and I'll send you a link to the latest event. Right, on to the podcast. Today's guest is Ian Young. He's the VP of Growth at Parachute Home, a D2C brand in the home goods space. Ian's had some great experience in a few different industries, including the flash sales industry, and we'll be exploring that a bit later as Ian explains how brands can move away from aggressive discount messaging. Let's get Ian on now to explain. Hi, Ian. Thanks for joining me today. Um, Would you mind just introducing yourself? Give us uh, a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are. Yeah, uh, my name is Ian Young. I'm the VP of Growth uh, at Parachute Home, uh, ver- digitally native vertical brand uh, DOC in the um, home goods space. So started off with bedding um, and expanded the assortment to bath and now uh, furniture. Um, before Parachute, had a few stints at uh, a number of different uh, e-commerce and uh, service apps, meditation app companies, um, but started my career in the automotive industry. So kind of a hard right pivot to find myself into uh, digital marketing. Yeah, yeah, a little bit different. Um, well, let's uh, let's just get into Parachute then. Um, what, what do you think has been one of the biggest contributors to growth uh, for the company in the last uh, year or so? Yeah, I mean, uh, in, in the last year, uh, I think there's been a number of uh, sort of things that we've done that, that have helped accelerate our growth. Uh, I mean, before the pandemic, we were a, a venture-backed, fast-growing startup, um, but the pandemic really changed consumer behavior in a way that um, hurt some businesses, but but was really beneficial to ours. And uh, there's like a number of factors, right? So we've had really good um, sort of retention rates and repeat customer behavior from from our our customers. That only sort of took an inflection point uh, when people were kind of stuck at home and um, really deciding to invest more in their homes. Um, and then that also really uh, sped up the, our organic customer acquisition. So people who uh, were looking to invest in their homes and were doing their research and spending the time and, and effort to um, kind of buy the best, right, and, or best for them. Um, and, and thankfully, we're, we're in that consideration set. Um, and then lastly, we've, we've ramped up our uh, paid marketing spends uh, also incredibly rapidly. Um, and so, so that's also increased our uh, ability to to pay to acquire new customers. And so, those three factors working in conjunction have really made um, a hockey stick type trajectory to our growth. Yeah. So, is that organic um, organic traffic coming in through kind of blogs and uh, like I, I guess uh, like inspiration uh, sort of sort of articles and things that you know if people are looking for ideas on how to on, on how to decorate the home or or kind of uh, what what bedding and things to buy. Yeah, uh, so I mean, SEO is a big part of our organic growth strategy. Uh, we've invested heavily in, in our technical infrastructure, but also content to to have content that that can rank. Um, but through uh, social channels, so our organic social media posts um, are also well liked. Um, but a lot of it is actually good old word of mouth. Um, it, it's people who have heard of our brand, have uh, had the opportunity to experience our products and um, genuinely enjoy it and, and sort of tell people when the conversation comes up that we should be in consideration. Um, word of mouth is actually the, the number one um, sort of acquisition source uh, for our brand um, and, and has been for 
ever really. Okay. How, how do you track that? Do you have a referral program or do you ask people uh, post sign up or post post purchase survey? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. Uh, it's obviously a very good sign if you're if you're getting that word of mouth. Um, right. I'm actually working with a client at the moment on um yeah, how can how they can boost that. We're kind of looking at referral program, but a referral program more as a way of nudging people towards those conversations rather than just saying, you know, get your friends to sign up and we'll give you give you both 20 quid or whatever. Because um, we, you know, I, I guess just with you guys, we know that the customers are super happy and we know that a lot of customers come in through word of mouth. So it's just about trying to nudge that conversation rather than uh, like overly pushing a, a marketing tool on them. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, that that's a, a really big conversation that um, I've, I've had with uh, like the, the number one ask the CEO will, or a company's advice or like, so how, how do we juice word of mouth? And I was like, well, have a good product. <laughs> so like you yeah. have to have something good. Otherwise you're never going to like, there's no growth hack to, to getting good word of mouth. Um, but what you can do to your point in terms of like, how do you, how do you influence those nudges is, is really understand the nuance of why they like your product, right? So that you can... Um, increase the the likelihood that they experience that aha moment of what they like and like kind of either either fix or um, sort of mitigate any sort of potential downsides uh, in their sort of experience with your brand that might detract from from those moments so yeah in- interestingly um I, I was I recorded another podcast a few days ago and it's a, a, a sort of a drinks brand um I'm not too sure how to explain it um, but their their whole thing is, how do we make sure the first sip is perfect? So it's um, you know, it's a bit like a, it's like an alternative to cordial, mm-hmm. um, except it's uh, scent based instead of putting something in the in the water. It's quite interesting. Oh. Um, so yeah, that that whole thing is about how do we make sure people understand how to use the product to get that first sip just perfect. And if yeah. they get that right, then not only do they retain people, but people are more likely to speak to people because they think, wow, this, this product is actually amazing. Yeah, it's, it's the uh, offline version of activation, right? Um, how, how do you get people to, to activate and experience your product in the way that it was, it was meant to? Um, and then if you get to that moment, everything else is downhill from there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, cool. So what, what about challenges? Uh, what, have, what have been some of the challenges you faced uh, as well in the last year? maintaining comps year over year it's kind of hard to to beat uh kind of kind of ridiculous growth numbers um but uh no i mean more more realistically it's um we we made a lot of investments into in sort of understanding what are the levers to our business um in the year plus that i've uh since i've joined parachute um we we've done a lot of analysis and digging and and uh, research to understand where is the growth coming from right it's not just looking at the sales number go up, it's like, okay, well, what are the customer types? Um, who are their behaviors? What are they? Anyway, just really going down deep that rabbit hole. And now I think we have a pretty good idea at a, at a macro level in terms of what are the channels that uh, people are coming in on? What are the uh, reasons and the motivations? Now our challenge is like, how do we uh, tactically and more surgically uh, influence that, right? We've been pretty effective in, in taking some big swings in terms of changing our channel mix and um, our marketing messaging. Now we really need to start refining that um, so we can continue uh, our current growth trajectory and not sort of like hit a plateau that uh, a lot of companies are our, our size or 
sort of can't overcome. Yeah. Yeah. It's always looking for those new opportunities, isn't it? Um, have you been, you know, do, do you experiment with new channels? So, you know, for example, like TikTok um, or, or channels like that, you know, when, when they yeah. launch, are you quite, quite on top of making sure you're at least exploring those channels and keeping an eye on them for when 100%. you're ready to... Hundred um, percent. I think if you if you don't continue to explore your boundaries, every channel will eventually peter out. Right? Some larger than others, but eventually everything will will reach a, a a plateau, and then and then your growth will plateau. And so, if you're not constantly looking for for the next new thing, you're going to hit a plateau at some point, and, and that's never good for a VP of growth to to go through. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, but no, on, on the topic of TikTok, yeah, I mean, that's a platform where uh, initially uh, I remember it was like, oh, it's just for kids or like like un- younger than our uh, demographic. Um, and so kind of just observed from afar. Uh, but over the course of the pandemic, I sort of downloaded, downloaded it out of curiosity myself and like really got immersed in, and started to do some research where it's no longer a niche kind of um, very small targeted thing. It, it's pretty broad and, and growing incredibly fast where um, I think it's it's going to be challenging for um, any of the other large uh, platforms to to capture attention away from TikTok because they're, they're doing such an amazing job with uh, engagement. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of Vine. And I, I suppose... Maybe the reason Vine didn't work out is because it was limited to was it six seconds? And I think uh, yeah, maybe- it was really short. And, and I think Vine failed because Twitter cut off their API. Like that was, I thought that was, or was that another? I thought app? Twitter. I thought Twitter bought them. Oh well, yeah, something to do with Twitter. Like um, maybe Facebook shut them off or something. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, that happens, doesn't it? Even Twitter grew. I, th- I think Twitter grew through Facebook. Uh, through that API connection, and then eventually that got switched off. Yeah, and then and you've you've got to adapt. You've got to figure so. out what's next, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say uh, and mention that it's not just when uh, different channels plateau, and you know you've you've reached that point where you know you're not you're not getting huge amounts of growth through it through it now. You're just getting kind of that regular steady stream. But every now and again, something is going to change. You know, al- algorithms change. Uh, you know, there's there's always legal issues, um, you know, data, stuff like that, which causes change, which might, for a short term, make it really difficult for you to advertise on a certain channel. So it's good to be able to then shift that budget elsewhere and just say, well, you know, we'll take our Facebook budget, for example, and stick it into TikTok and do more there or stick it into influencers um, until we've addressed this situation and worked it out. Yeah, I mean, IDFA going away. That I mean, that was a pretty big shift uh, in the ecosystem last year that um, caused a lot of uh, pain for for a lot of companies. I know that were dependent on on Facebook and, and their ability to to hyper target and, and find new customers. Um, I mean, we, we saw the performance of our Facebook campaigns kind of crater as well. But to your point, uh, we were pretty diversified in our in our sort of channels that we've identified, and so we were able to shift budget around and and. Um, at, at a high level, not be as hurt as as much as we could have been if we were uh, solely dependent on on a Facebook. Yeah, um, yeah. So, how do you go about? How do you attribute and and measure that performance accurately? Because obviously, uh, with with the fairly recent changes in iOS and everything, those channels have become a lot more difficult to 
to kind of accurately measure so yeah what have you what have you done to kind of mitigate that yeah i mean uh age-old question for for marketers right uh i think uh john winemaker in like turn of the century was like the the famous um was a quote uh i i know half of my marketing is working i just don't know what half yeah uh or something like that paraphrased but um i mean so before i joined um we were last click um seven day uh one day view last attribution platform reported and then we kind of just use that to, to directionally guide our, our investment decisions um as you know problem with that is all the platforms are, are kind of Fox guarding the hen house and, and they all reported more than, than their fair share. And if you summed up all the revenue reported from platforms, it's actually three times bigger than what we actually sold and got, got credit for, yeah. um, collecting credit cards for. So, um, the first thing, the first thing that, that I did when I joined was, uh, to, to start establishing a source of truth. Right. And, um, knowing that, uh, multi-touch attribution was, was going to go away eventually and, and privacy restrictions. Um, we're, we're going to make that increasingly more difficult. Um, we decided to implement a, an approach through um, sort of design of experiments to, to measure incrementality and, and just lift in general from different platforms. Um, and uh, we took a sort of artisan approach in terms of using some of our intuition and, and some of our um, knowledge in terms of how channels interact to, to develop those experiments. And then um, based on what a platform reported, we can apply um, sort of an incrementality coefficient to what a platform reports to true up or down, mostly down, uh, yeah. what that re revenue impact, causal revenue impact is for, for the ads that we run or the money we spend. Yeah, yeah. So I, guess, I suppose seeing, if you're running ads in Facebook and you like scale them up for the, or, or, or scale other things down, I suppose, maybe for, um, for the purpose of these tests, seeing the change in what Facebook is reporting compared to the change that you are reporting internally. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, so, so those are kind of like pre-post spike type uh, methodologies, which sometimes it's, it's the best we can do. Um, ideally, our preference is to have uh, a control. Um, so using like randomized control trials from like the medical and vaccine uh, trial uh, scientific method control a group that is as representative as possible of, of your, your target audience, don't serve them ads, and then measure their purchasing behavior relative to a treatment group that, that does receive the ads on a particular channel. And then that lift uh, will give you a really good uh, indication of the causal impact of you spending money. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm not really involved in advertising, so it's not, not really my area. Cool. So, um, how do you how do you go about engaging and convincing visitors of the the value of your products? Because um, I think you you're quite uh, like I don't know I don't know if against is the right word, but against discounting, right, and, and and promotions. So, you know, when there are obviously quite a few other brands that you know sell similar products, how do you go about kind of standing out and uh, and and convincing people that your products are, are the best? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think people um, like discounts. I mean, there's there's no doubt that that people love discounts, but but no one's going to buy something just because it's on sale if they don't like the product to begin with, right? So, um, discounting and stuff seems like a seasoning that you add on top of sort of uh, an acquisition dish, but but nothing that can like stand on its own. So, 
um, we've, uh, as a brand, have, have decided to, to only run two sales a year uh, during Memorial Day and Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And there's no coupon codes, none of that other stuff, discount codes, like it really just doesn't even exist. Um, and, and so what we've really leaned on is, again, the strength of our product, uh, what our product is in terms of the quality and the um, sort of benefits that that uh, investing in our in our products brings to you as, a, as an individual. And uh, over the years, uh, as we've expanded into new uh, product categories and just sort of kept abreast of changes in um, the world, I mean, COVID really changed the world. Um, and so we, we, we do spend uh, a lot of uh, energy and effort in understanding our customers, um, doing qualitative research to, to understand sort of like what are the nuances in terms of the functional benefits that people uh, see when they engage with our products, the, like how does that make people feel? And then once we understand that, what's the messaging that uh, would be most effective to, to get people to, to understand that? Um, and then that ties back into our product development too, right? So we design um, and uh, source our own products. Like we're, we're not like other retailers that just go to China and like buy off a line sheet from manufacturers. Um, we work directly with the, the manufacturers to, to design and source and, and develop every single product that we make so that we can ensure that it uh, delivers on a brand promise. That last point, um, yeah, I, I've seen it in a, in a few companies where the product team just have their pipeline of products that they want to release. And the marketing teams are the ones doing the research, kind of doing the actual research, really, you know, digging into how do the products make people feel um, what products would they do they think would support the one that they have bought or is there you know a different version or, or differences and it's great to use that for the website optimization and say well you know this is what everyone's telling us so let's make sure that messaging is on the website so that new customers will see that and say okay cool that's exactly what I'm looking for um, it's obviously crucial that that feedback then gets to the product team as well who then go out and and refine the products or or come out with you know version 2.0 or or different sizing or whatever whatever's needed yeah i mean just to elaborate on that it, it, i think it's more than just a feedback loop but like an integrated part of uh the ideal way to do business right because product teams they have to make trade-offs sometimes in terms of as they're developing uh it might not be uh, available from a sourcing perspective and that it might not be cost efficient from like just price point in terms of like okay this is going to cost ten thousand dollars to do this well, no one's going to pay $10,000 for, for this product. Well, okay, yeah. well then what are the trade-offs that we can make? Um, and then making sure that all parts of the business are sort of aligned in terms of what those trade-offs are and, and how um, they reinforce and stay true to the brand promise, um, I, I think is the secret sauce. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, so, so do you... Are you heavily involved in doing those that, that research? So to find out, finding out what customers really like um, what they what they think is important, and how do you how do you go about doing that? I mean, research. You got to talk to your customers. <laughs> I mean, there, there's no there's no other way, right? Um, there, but that research can take uh, a number of different um, perspectives, right? So there's the qualitative. You you interview people, you do focus groups, you you send out surveys. Um, that that will tell you sort of like a, a little bit of the the why and like emotional aspect, obviously. Um, but I think it's really important to ground that in, in quantitative research beyond just surveys, right? Because there's obviously a lot of uh, opportunities for, for bias. 
And then uh, looking at the quantitative data in terms of how people are interacting with your with your product, um, mostly digital products, because there's obviously a lot more tools to do that. Um, but looking at sales data, looking at uh, customer service data, looking at returns and um, just any logistical information that, that we may possess um, helps sort of gut check some assumptions that we might make uh, in terms of um, you know, what, what customers truly feel. Yeah. I mean, I'm always running uh, surveys on the website, uh, normally some just in the marketing automation sequences. So, you know, if, the, if it's the welcome series and someone hasn't made a purchase by the end of it, you know, asking, uh, you know, it could be why you didn't make a purchase or could be asking them some questions around what their, what their kind of pain point is or something like that. So potentially we can trigger a different flow. Um, you know, th- there are ways that biases can come in. You know, I've, I've heard of focus groups, one of the issues with focus groups where if there's someone who's particularly kind of overbearing in it and, and dominant in the conversation, then it can lead other people to just agree with them. And yeah. they, they don't really give their opinions. Um, other times, you know, people don't want to be, they don't want to accidentally say something that they think might offend someone. Right, so they don't want to criticize the product on a call sometimes, because even though that's that's what you've specifically asked them to do as part of the interview, they you know they just don't want to you know offend someone. Yeah. Um, and then, and one I've noticed which it, it, with user testing, so this is more to do with user testing the website, I suppose. Just the way the way people have interacted, engaged with those in those recordings just really made me question the value of these because it, it wasn't natural, right? It, it's not like a session recording on, on Hotjar or whatever. You're not watching a natural um, engagement with the, with the website. You're watching someone literally going like line by line, just assessing everything on the website. And so often they're saying, yeah, this is good. I like this. Or that's, yeah, that's interesting. And it will just be the things like, you know, if a pop-up is a bit too early, they'll say, yeah. oh no, I, I didn't like that that popped up too early. And it, yeah, so I've have not re- kind of not really got those working for me unless they've popped up actual problems with the website. Yeah, the, yeah I mean user testing it's more of a QA thing that like okay, did did you mess up with your design that like something is like broken uh, rather yeah. than like if it's a nuance of like eh, it's okay, like th- I think those things are not going to um, surface and uh, I mean, the, 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 the speaking to people and to your point around sort of biases, it's what people say is not always what they do. Um, and uh, that's why it's like, oh, it's always important to gut check on the actual behavior, like in the wild, using a hot jar, using amplitude, using like actual product metrics of how people engage in real life that, yeah. uh, and yeah, I just did air quotes for, for people who are not looking at the video. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that's where the art I think comes in, um, in terms of how, how to do, um, this correctly is, um, yep. knowing where to lean in on different methodologies, but like knowing the limitations of every single type of technique and then how do you kind of counterbalance it? So you, you stay as close to the truth as possible. Yeah. I, I I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of combining qualitative and quantitative. Uh, whether it's a, a survey that get that gets sent out, uh, exit intent, whatever. Uh, I'm working with a company at the moment, and we, we've run an exit intent to find out why why people don't purchase, basically. Um, but I insisted on having a qualitative second uh, second question. 
which is basically just, can you elaborate on your answer? And I was not surprised at all when the majority of people said the product was too expensive. But then when you look into the qualitative feedback, you realize that these people aren't really the target audience. There's a there's a reason they think you know it's 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 so obvious why they think it's it's too expensive, and so you know I was able to say to the to the client you know we don't need to worry about this price this at least this feedback doesn't indicate to me that price is an issue, um, because you yeah. can see you can see that these we these are the people who we know will not purchase. Yeah, I mean that's uh, you just reminded me of, a, of an experience I had around, uh, or just several conversations in terms of like what is a considered purchase, right? A considered purchase for uh, one person might be an impulse buy for another who just happens to have a higher net worth or or more disposable income, um, and yeah, because of the great income inequality in this world, uh, there are people who make impulse buys of twenty thousand dollars. Um, and, and I worked at a company that, that sold impulse purchase, uh, items that were in the five figures, uh, and, and people bought them and, and they were just didn't give it a second thought, um, final sale. No, no, like whatever consideration it, it was literally an impulse buy for, for these people. Um, and, uh, it, it's just fascinating where any normal human being would be like, that's crazy. But when you have so much money, it doesn't matter to them. Yeah, and and also, you know, sometimes it can still be quite a big purchase for someone, but if they are absolutely convinced that this is something they need, they'll happily spend the money. Now, I've, I work with a um, a bike, uh, a bicycle company for you know uh, road bikes, um, you know, long distance stuff, super high quality. You know, some of the bikes are five, six, seven thousand pounds, and you know, doing these interviews with people, price never comes up as, as a concern. You know, never even saying, oh, you know, I had to think, I had to think about it because you know the the final price for the for the configured bike was was a little bit high. It was most of the time, in fact, it was oh, I, I understood the value of paying a bit more money for uh, a, like a titanium frame instead of a steel frame or something. You know, so they're actually saying I stretched my budget. You know, I came in with a budget of six thousand and ended up spending seven because I could see the value in it. Yeah. I, I mean, it goes back to the whole discounting conversation in terms of price, right? It, it's it's obviously an important consideration and people don't want to, uh, if they can save some money or um, not waste money, I guess, um, that will be in their consideration. But it's never the, the beginning, right? The, the, the main reason why people buy stuff is, is because of the thing that they're buying and the value it means to them. Yeah. You, you need to convince someone that this product is going to solve their problem or, or it's the right product for them and their mm-hmm. needs. If price is then an issue, then all right, maybe you need to try and do something about it or, or potentially they'll go to a, a competitor if it's cheaper. But but yeah, no one or not many people look at a product, uh, look straight at the price and go, no, it's too expensive. I'm done. I'm off. Yeah. Unless you are a truly commoditized, undifferentiated product and price is the yeah. only thing you have to compete on. Sure, then, then, then I, I, I do not envy the situation that you're in because that is a race to the bottom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so speaking of uh, pricing and, and discounting, actually, uh, I wanted to talk to you about how brands can move away from discounting if they're already there. Because mm-hmm. obviously, lots of brands are, right? Yeah. It, almost every website has, seems to have a, 
10% off if you sign up to our newsletter, then just in the course of their automation sequences, if yeah. from signing up, you will probably receive five or six different offers within those. You'll probably get a discount in a, in a campaign email at some point. And some brands find it very difficult to move away from that because they know that the discounts get sales. And I suppose they don't know what's the alternative. So yeah, what's, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? How, what recommendations would you give? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the not, I mean, I'm not going to try and say that the discounts don't work because they obviously do right. Uh, in, in the short term. Um, I mean, any number of experiments that you run discounts will always generate more sales period. However, uh, in the long run, I think that they uh, can become uh, a drug that uh, you get addicted to it and it's very hard to wean off of. And uh, that drug does stunt your long-term growth uh, because it confuses messaging, right? So um, if you're thinking about trying to capture consumer attention, anything that you say that strays from the primary value promise of your brand of that, like, okay, this is the thing why your brand is different than anyone else and why you should buy it. If you're throwing in discount messaging, you're diluting that message by, by just saying there's a discount, right? And human attention will, will go to that discount, even if they may capture some of your primary benefit message. And so um, I think the first advice is you got to commit, right? Because you're going to take a short-term hit. Uh, there, it's going to be painful in the short term. There's going to be withdrawal syndromes. Um, yeah. But ultimately, if you want to grow above whatever plateau that, that you are, um, that that has to happen. Um, then comes the hard part. <laughs> the the hard part is uh, you got to go back to that basics of like marketing one one of like what does your brand stand for? What what is that value message? Um, what is the reason that consumers would engage with you? You got to do the research. You got to you got to understand that that consumer behavior and make sure that your product delivers against that promise. Um, and and then once you figure out that combination, then go all in on that, right? That then becomes a much more powerful lever for future growth than just relying on your discounts. And um, you can sort of surpass that uh, withdrawal. And, and uh, it's generally a much better place to be if you, if you don't have to rely on that drug. Also, I, th- I think, you know, even as, as marketers, like internally, you kind of feel, well, you should feel better about it, right? You should feel better and more excited about the fact that you're selling a product because that product is amazing, not because you've put a 20% discount in front of people. Yeah, no, I mean, um, just to bring like anchored in an experience that I had uh, in in a previous role, um, I worked for uh, a company called Touch of Modern, which was uh, a a startup in San Francisco that uh, started as a a flash sales site. So when uh, Gilt and Rulala and and all that was coming up, um, Fab, uh, Touch of Modern was a flash sale site for target audience being uh, men. So the, the thesis was that uh, all of shopping is predominantly uh, buying decisions are made by, by women. And there is no site or web, or web app that a retailer that, that catered to the unique needs of, of men. And that was the, the, the premise. Pretty sexist, but that, that was just what, what it was. Um, and because of that sort of, uh, heritage of starting as a flash sales site early on, it started off as up to 70% off limited time, um, buy it now there's scarcity and, uh, it's gone, get it now before it's gone. And, and that 
uh, sort of discount messaging were very effective. Company grew to $100 million leaning in on that message, right? But uh, at that point, uh, it, it became, uh, there's a plateau, right? There's only so much that you can do before that's not interesting enough, right? And people don't come back because they bought something on sale. They come back because of something else that they that they liked about the product. And um, we realized that this was not sustainable and we had to figure out what was the that core value prop. And so went into a really long exploration and talking to our customers. Like we had a, a core group of customers that were repeating and buying every, uh, actually coming back to our, our app on a daily basis and making purchases on a weekly or monthly basis. Um, and that was incredibly high LTV. So we really want to understand like what was making them tick. What we discovered was that our flash sales model was not, the discount wasn't what was attracting them. It was the ever-changing assortment. So because we were launching new products and those products were interesting, eye-catching, novel, um, they were using our, our product retail site as a discovery mechanism, right? That discovery mechanism was what brought people to uh, Touch of Modern. And then the discount helped them sort of convert near the end. But the reason to come to the, to the site in the first place was discovery. When we made that pivot to focus on the discovery rather than the discount, we saw, like we took, we, we had a, a TV ad that, that had both. And then we just, okay, what's gonna be the pain if we just like removed up to 70% off from the creative and put that to market? And we're like, okay, we might take a whatever, a couple basis points hit, but like in the long run, it'd be better. We're willing to do that. Well, guess what? There was actually no change in performance for that ad creative and actually, Perform better in some markets. Went all in into that messaging tactic, put it far and wide, and then reaccelerated growth and uh, was able to, to to overcome that plateau and um, and get rid of that messaging. Now our model was still flash sale, so there was still a discount associated because that's the model of the of the business. Um, but nowhere would you see that messaging until you get deep into the product because yeah. Top of funnel advertising, no mention. Once you hit our the homepage, no messaging or discount. It's only once you get deeper into like the consideration of specific products that you'll see that hey, there's actually a pretty good deal if you buy it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm surprised, obviously surprised that there was there was no drop at all, and in fact, you, you went up. I I get that. Um, it might be a more appealing message to certain people because if you if you're start, if you're advertising with seventy percent off it might raise questions about the quality of the product, right? And you're thinking, it's a cool product, but at 70% off, There's a is it, you know, is it, how long is it even going to last me? Um, yeah. So by removing that, you obviously get people, you get people who are curious. And again, going back to the whole point around it, it's not just the messaging piece, like it has to be holistic. So uh, our buying team and our sourcing team, we're also kind of like, tailoring our uh, the products that we would source to things that were actually novel and not just cheap right because yeah. uh, under the previous guidelines um, we would look for like private label products that were bought off of alibaba and just kind of repackaged just because we wanted to hit that price point and margin structure um, and then when we shifted that sourcing decision to be uh, more of like hey this is actually just a cool interesting product that just isn't as well known 
um, or, or to brand new hot off the presses, uh, then that also fed into and reinforced the message that we were trying to communicate. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of um, an app. It, it was an app that Apple banned because it was a, effectively its own marketplace. This was, uh, I mean, this must be like 10 years ago now. Um, I can't really remember what it was called, like Redbox or something like that. Um, and it was a, it was an app a day, right? So I think for the first day, the app was free. So they would generate 50,000 downloads for, for the app. And then on the second day onwards, it would just be a discount through the app. And that was really good for discovery. And the, probably the, the main reason I used it was because, yeah, it was, it was generally a cool new app. It wasn't, it wasn't just any app. They were they were actually you know good apps that at least for a while I used. But you know I'm sure like like most apps, eventually it got kind of rotated out of the phone. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think yeah I, I like that, that idea and that that acknowledging that 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 sorry acknowledging that's what customers wanted as well, and it wasn't the discount. You know, discovering that it was the the discovery side that they were interested in. And taking that information and actually saying, right, we need to redo the, you know, take the message out of our advertising, redo the website so that people only see the discount kind of, I guess, when they're convinced that the product is right for them or, or not. And if, if not, they've obviously, they'll move on anyway, but they, yeah, they, they get convinced that the, uh, the product's right for them. They see that discount and go, cool. That's a, that's a nice little bonus. I'll, I'll, I'll buy that now. It's the consistency of messaging, right? It's um, trying to do too much. Uh, like, so you mentioned, like a lot of websites just put modals and pop-ups and like just different tactics all over the place. Um, and, and it's all distracting. Uh, I mean, yeah. click-through rates are, are low on those types of things because people mostly ignore them, but it still takes a little bit of cognitive load to actively ignore something. And, and that cognitive load distracts from getting you down the the, the main funnel that you're, that you're trying to do. Um, and so, yeah, clean, sometimes less is more. And uh, that was definitely a situation where making it much simpler uh, was very beneficial. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a newsletter I get. And unfortunately, I couldn't tell you the name because I, I just go through my, that inbox, right? I don't really pay attention to which newsletter it is. I just read the content. But he does a, like a review of a Shopify site each week hmm. or each issue. Um, and as part of that, he lists out which apps they use. And he's got, you know, he's talking about websites that are doing hundreds of millions a year that have like eight apps on their website and, and, and that's it. And they don't have all the upsells and, you know, they'll mostly have a, like a newsletter a kind of pop-up one, but they don't have all the upsell apps and all the kind of social proof apps and, you know, X number of people are viewing this product right now. And, and all that sort of stuff. They just, they strip it out. They keep it really simple and they focus on the product. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a I mean, I guess a dirty secret uh, for, for B2B SaaS vendors is that most of those products don't really incrementally move the needle in, in some way, right? It's like, it's like the, uh, the platform ROAS uh, of, of ad spend side of it is like, they're going to try and sort of show metrics to prove that they're worth whatever they charge. Um, and sometimes what they charge is so cheap that it's just, why not, right? It's like, I'll pay 20 bucks a month to, to install your app because it might help. And if it doesn't help, it's 20 bucks a month. And I'm like, whatever, I'm not going to worry about it. 
Um, and then it just bloats. And then you have these sites that have like 20, 30, 40 different layers built on top of it that just sit there and don't really help. But like, they're not so expensive where people are, it's like painful to like rip them out. So it just sits there. Yeah, well, uh, from what I understand, it's also quite difficult to actually remove a Shopify app. Like it's it's not just a case of say, of deleting the app and it and it's gone. That that code sits on your website still. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of you know there's a, a lot a lot you have to consider. You know, it's, especially as most of them offer free trials, right? So it's very very tempting to just sit there on the app store for for twenty minutes and just click yeah. uh, click add on 10, 15 different apps that all look like they'll help you. And suddenly that's 10, 15 apps worth of code that's just been added to your website. We, we had to go through a, uh, as part of our sort of SEO optimization efforts was like really taking a hard look at um, our code base for, for site speed reasons. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of uh, amazing when you, when you go through, or we were going through GTM and like, okay, well, what are all these different things? I've never even heard of half of them because they're implemented like years ago from predecessors of predecessors that just never got addressed. Yeah, that that person leaves. Uh, probably the finance person says, "Oh, we've been paying for this app for a while. Are we still using it?" Someone says, "No," so it gets the subscription gets cancelled, but the the code and the app doesn't get removed. Exactly. Yeah. Um, cool. Awesome. Uh, so just before we finish, uh, is there anyone in the DTC marketing space that you'd want to go for lunch with? Ryan Reynolds. Uh, I mean, he okay. is, uh, I mean, just a funny guy, but uh, the, the his creative process on uh, the work that he did, uh, making fun of Peloton and then helping Peloton with that uh, ad spoofing the um, Mr. Big thing. Uh, I, I mean, I think it was genius. Like, I, I really just want to understand how we can move so quickly and get resonant viral content like out there. Like, I mean, it, it was mind blowing how well and how quickly he was able to move to, to, to like keep pace on those trends. Um, and that's something that I know that sort of in my previous lives and, and still to this day, it would take like weeks of like brainstorming and meetings and like just coordination to get something that's not even half as good as the stuff that he did. So uh, yeah, that's a pretty good one. It's uh, obviously a bit of an unusual one as well. Um, cool. And uh, have you got any any marketing tools that you'd recommend people use? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I guess just sticking on the theme of like research and understanding. Um, on the quantitative side, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Amplitude as a as a tool to analyze product metrics and, and how people use. Uh, and engage with uh, different parts of your experience um, in, in a holistic way, uh, and especially on a cohort basis. And then on the research, quali- qualitative research side, I mean, good old SurveyMonkey, it's a, it's a good survey tool. Um, and uh, Remesh is a, is a focus group tool that uh, we started using that has been also very helpful. Okay. Is that a like virtual, um, virtual yeah. focus group? Yeah. yeah, it's it's a, a digitally moderated focus group. Um, so they're they're in sort of like a, a virtual space, um, but there's sort of tools to to help communication with the focus group itself, but then also uh, with the moderators and like us, the brand, kind of observing the focus group go on. Um, biggest benefit is like you're not talking about a focus group of like six to eight people or twelve people. You're talking about like fifty to one hundred people in a focus group contributing uh, and like 
So, so there's like bigger sample size and, and less opportunities for like individual bias. So your point of like one loudmouth, like, and because it's virtual, it's, it's all pretty um, streamlined. Yeah, cool. Oh, that sounds pretty good, actually. I'll have to check that out. Um, well, awesome. Thank you so much, Ian. Uh, if anyone wanted to reach out and, um, and have a chat with you, what's the best way of doing that? I guess my LinkedIn, Ian Young, uh, VP of Growth of Parachute. It's uh, pretty easy to find me. Yeah, sweet. Awesome. All right. Thank you. All right. Pleasure to be here. Parachute clearly benefited a lot from the pandemic. Everyone was stuck at home and so investing in making their homes more comfortable and more, more appealing. Uh, this organic shift in the market had a huge impact on Parachute, allowing them to really expand on their marketing, spend more on acquisition and crucially learn exactly what was going on. Who are their customers? What are their motivations? Why do they buy? What do they buy? And how does this differ per acquisition channel? These are the questions every brand should be asking every day. And if you're not able to, you risk hitting that plateau that a lot of companies get to because they just don't know how to take that next step. Another point Ian made, which a lot of brands need to understand, is that people don't buy just because of a discount or a sale. They still have to have a want or a need for your products in the first place. If the motivation isn't there, then it's going to take a very strong promotion to convert someone. And even then, that's probably not the sort of customer you want to be acquiring. If you'd like to chat with Ian about all of this, please do reach out to him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or message me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Jeremy Epperson joining me. Jeremy is someone I hugely respect and has had a massive impact on me and the CRO space. And I'm really excited to welcome him as a guest next week to talk about customer journey mapping and some quick, easy, and free tips to gaining insight into it. But until then, keep those customers clicking. <laughs>